Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? Great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing fabulous. I've got a beautiful sunny day here in Seattle. So whenever it's sunny in Seattle, I'm always doing good. Yeah, it's uh, sunny here in Portland too. So I gotta love that. Uh, hey, I got a question for you. Besides a Sky Styler, what is your favorite disc to play with? Wow, that is an interesting question. Gosh, I almost would have to say it kind of depends on what the situation is because I love playing with whiz rings. But I also, I like playing with DDC discs. I think they're really kind of fun to play with. Uh, they're lighter. Yeah. So what kind I of a situation go, do you use the DDC disc for? I on the beach. Ah. Same on the beach. Yeah. If the wind's too strong, it's not good. But uh, you can be on the beach and have a nice light wind. And it's also good uh, with playing with uh, newbies as well, because if you're like teaching them airbrushing, you can easily do the airbrush with a whiz ring, but a DDC disc, one of those smaller discs, it's easier for a new person to get with the brush and it doesn't hurt their hand as much. And so I have found that that's a, a good tool for that experience as well. Well, how about you? Well, yeah. So my answer would be a whiz ring for sure. I jam with a whiz ring perhaps more often than with a sky styler, although I'm not 100% sure about that, but I jam with one all the time. So anytime the wind is light and I'm by myself, a whiz ring is my go-to disc. Um, it's also my go-to disc for warm-ups. So. That's amazing that you would say you almost play with a whiz ring more than a sky styler. That certainly is not the percentage with me. Uh, very rarely, not rarely, I just play with a sky styler more often. Yeah. I have a question for you. So I was just thinking, you know, we uh, did the live stream of the tournament that was in Italy last weekend. And I was wondering, how many live streams have we done this year? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've done 13 so far this year, which is almost two per month. So that's wow. pretty amazing. Yeah. And we got to give shout outs to all the folks that help us. Chris Bellage and Mystic and Lori did a live stream on her own too. So this is it's amazing that you guys help out make these live streams happen. Definitely a, a communal uh, effort for sure. And uh, certainly I know that folks out there are very appreciative because I know I get to enjoy them too. Yeah. So um, while we're talking about live streams, let me just do a quick plug because I will be at Beach Stylers uh, here in the next two weeks and I'll be live streaming from there. So long as the bandwidth is fast enough, you'll see the live stream coming live from the beach. Um, I also wanted to mention, and folks I'm sure have noticed, is that we're doing the podcast every other week instead of weekly because we want to give ourselves some time to focus on some other projects. And uh, we're looking forward to bringing that to you. So, Jake. Yes, Randy. What is the podcast about today? Yeah. So in this podcast, we're continuing our conversation with Chip. We ask him how his game developed while he was touring and competing with the Bud Light team. Let's listen. So do you think that you could have spent more time um, improving, reaching a new level, inventing new moves if you weren't doing the demos? Or do you think, how do you think that influenced that part? I think that um, if we had just dedicated to, one of the thoughts I always wanted to do is have a, a good routine for a prelim, a good routine, a different one to a semi, and a different one for a final. I kind of wanted to work on that at the time. 
we could have been trying it, you know, when you do a demo and sometimes we'd do one a day for five minutes or we would keep us super busy, like, you know, 10 or 12 shows a day. And that would be uh, sometimes hard to develop new things, but we'd be talking and we'd try new things. Music was part of it too. But I think that if, uh, I think if we kept doing the demos, that would have kept us stronger. But then again, we just weren't pure innovative. We were putting together a show more than a routine. The routine was done, but we could have pushed it harder. But that's where spontaneity came in because it just got boring doing the same thing. So it was kind of Joey and I thinking what spontaneous play was. I was just learning it and not really communicating much. But I started to get more of a thrill out of that than trying to push the routine harder. So we just let go of doing routines finally. Uh, not the Bud Light team, but Joey and I just ended up trying to find a, a spontaneous groove. Yeah, well, you guys had that that round, uh, I think it was uh, in Colorado indoors, maybe 87. You guys won it, pairs. And that was a spontaneous run from what I have been told. Is that true? Yes, it is. Not, nothing planned. We picked the music that morning. And uh, that was what Joey and I called the harmonic convergence. And we think, you know, it wasn't my best routine or my personal best, but as a team, that was our peak, was that tournament and that time in our lives. We were peaking out in 87. Yeah. Is that, you're talking yeah. FPA Worlds, Randy? Yeah, it might have been FPA Worlds. It was WIFDIF. Oh, WIFDIF. Okay. I'm just it looking at the FPA stats and they had Joey and Chip won in 88. Yeah. Wow. So it was, well, so you, WIFDIF, you, that makes sense. Well, so you did WIFDIF 87, the, the indoor routine that was spontaneous, but then you and Joey won in 1988 FPA Worlds. Was that a spontaneous approach as well? Yeah. Wow. That's pretty amazing. That's, we, this is the first time I've heard of a team being 100% spontaneous in pairs and winning. I didn't know it had happened. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know what it was is the chemistry. You know, we just knew, and we knew that that's what our game was. Like, okay, that's what we're doing. So it's in a weird way. It is spontaneous, but we know it's going to be spontaneous. So it's like, yeah. I don't know. It's pretty neat that way, but we're trying to get fired up on each other. You know how that works, you know, going back and forth. Although one of the challenges playing with Joey is, you know, you guys have felt this with the greatest players, but all of a sudden he does a move and I'm like, shit, now what am I going to do? <laughs> Right. <laughs> not, to, not to top it, but how do I even flow around anything he just did? Speaking of that, did you feel like you had to up your game to hang with him? Like that was kind of the the overriding mojo? No. Um, I, it was uh, inspiring, but I was self-motivated. I was, I was inspired to continue to do better, and I think that's what he was attracted to. Every day, I just thought, I'm going to get better. 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 I'm going to push myself. I'm going to try this. I'm gonna, and he's like, but no, he inspired me to do it. But it wasn't like, oh, shit, I got to up my game to do this. I was like, fuck, yeah, I'm going to do that. Right. And I just wanted to do it. I wanted to be able to get to a place where anything, you can do anything. Well, you you got there, Chipper. I've I've watched some of this stuff you know, over the years. And I'm always just blown away at some of the sequences that you've done. So have, have you been blown away by some of the sequences that you've done? Like, have you like gone, Oh my God, I can't believe I just did that. 
Um, <laughs> one would be like pull up the roots and land on your feet. But uh, mm, I, I, I like looking back, you know, and seeing some things uh, that were innovative. Um, I think one of the thoughts I like is when I see is that I, if I see myself, I'll see a move that Joey had just fed me or something. There's some stuff out there uh, where we're just playing in one day and just to see what happened in a day. And some of that film Z has, it's just, just the same day, the same hour. But what we were doing was amazing. And then I think, wow, that was an eight hour day. And what the day before that was. And so I'd kind of amazed our, myself about what we were doing and pushing it. But I always liked it when I'd get up with a smile and I never had a temper or I missed it or pounded or anything. I just like laugh. I just feel like this is so cool. Yeah, those those videos of Z and some of that Palm Park, Santa Barbara footage is really mind blowing from all the players there. It was just like, wow, that, you know, just the content that was coming out of you guys yeah. at that time was delicious. Yeah. And you see a lot of drops and stuff, but you can see where that was getting pushed, you know, and that, so that was kind of neat and being an honor to be with that, with that spontaneous openness. Um, but again, Palm Park offered it. We the, the venue was so beautiful to, as I could say, you can set it and forget it. Just put it up, do a few spins. It's just hanging there. The wind was just so perfect so many times. It just made it so much easier. You're just, okay, I needed the disc right here. Just put it there. It wasn't gusty. That's why we had to go play different places and corridors of bad wind. Speaking of everybody pushing themselves, and you were saying, yeah, there was a lot of drops as well during that time so the judging system i i don't know how execution did how, how do i phrase i might have to ask this question so did execution play a play a huge role in in tournament decisions or was execution just less of a factor and more of people going for it i'm not sure if i asked that right um but yeah i'm not sure i think execution at the early days and still to me is um you know if it's a drop that's so significant that's kind of like you know the points deducted in a drop and execution though was interesting because at the edge of destruction you know the edge of 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 falling the edge of you know like falling backwards and all of a sudden you catch it is that an error or is that a sense of skill do you give that to luck that's what i left it to instead of thinking i mean of course in tournament play it's like we have to catch them all but it was also for me to try to push it harder. And this catch was the hope. I don't know. I think the hope was pulling off the move. And hey, if you caught it, that was a little bit reckless abandoned or, or at least not playing safe when it could just like execution wasn't everything. Difficulty was. It sounds like your focus was to go as big as you possibly could. Yeah, there you go. And so I did Hayner Bale. Get Hainer Bale. So, how does consecutivity figure into that? Is it really just about this big move, that big move, or putting it all together? It's definitely for for me and and the flow I love is consecutivity. And I've always been a fan of of uh, how does it flow from the throw to the body through all the way, and then executes to a flowing throw. It doesn't. Every move doesn't have to be that way. But it's the gist of the jam is consecutivity and how it's going to work. And, of course, that relates into co-op. But it's individual play. 
you know, I'm, I'm, you know, one of the biggest guys to be the, to do thes and I'm the, the man, but I've always wanted to eliminate the, the, and see if I can be consecutive. And to me, that was a super neat challenge when it works. It's a soulful feeling that to me is more soul than the impact of a big catch. And the impact of a big catch is sometimes in the head. And, and you're like, whoa, that was amazing. But flow creates kind of a Zen feel where it's like, it's a, it's a spirit thing that if you pull it off right, that was my goal was to find that, that Zen of flow all the way to the throw. And that throw then was part of that energy that just occurred. And now I'm going to hand it to somebody else, hopefully in a dish or a set to somebody that's going to continue that without ever doing it, you know, kind of impossible, but that's the goal. I love what you just said there about the flow and don't let the big catch become the focus because the big catch will show up if you just have patience. So if you want to just take a, an easy catch that keeps the flow going, you'll be amazed that that big catch shows up if you just let it come to you instead of trying to force it into the big catch bucket. Yep. Yep. Again, it will come and you know, it's process driven. Yep. So if you, if you can't get the big catch without, you know, for me without the flow or without that perfect set or whatever, I love it when you can be like, okay, I'm going to set it right here. You guys are the kings of it. I want it right here. I want to put it right here, right here. Unless you're like spinning and you have it so high up there, both you guys are like, well, there's also hope in it. I hope I get it. (laughs) Yeah. It'll come down eventually. (laughs) It'll come down eventually. And I I think I kind of look at it also as like being a point guard, you know, like how do you make the people around you look better? And that's being aware of where your sets are and what's the sweet spot for them. I know that when you, when I say something like, well, just have patience and let it come to you, that's sort of a spiritual philosophical thing. And it's really hard for like a new player to wrap their brain around that. What is some things that you would tell a new player how to sort of embrace that concept of that flow without getting lost in the technical? I'm not sure I asked that yeah, question correctly, but try to reframe it. Yeah. Uh, let me throw something out there. Okay, go, Jake. You know, just like you were just saying, Randy, about how this philosophical, spiritual, let it come to you vibe is sometimes confusing for new players because it's so philosophical and there's not really a specific thing to do. But in listening to your response to the consecutivity question, Chip, I I've had a little light bulb go off. Uh, we Randy and I talk a lot about how when we're jamming, we're just... In the moment, the talking guy stops and we kind of get into this meditative state. And I think that as I was listening to you talk about consecutivity, I think that's part of what drives that drives that meditative state. If I think I need to do this turnover here or I need to go for a double spinning catch, I, I come out of the meditative state. I think about what I'm going to do and then I go for it and then I'm happy or sad if I missed it versus if I'm going from move to move to move and just thinking about how can I incorporate as many parts of my body as I can and how can I incorporate as many of my fellow jammers as I can. That Mm. takes me out of the talking guy space and puts me more into the just in the flow space. Does that make sense? Exactly. It does. It does. And then for me, it becomes also connecting. You know, it's not always there, but connecting to the music you know, how that inspiring part comes in. And now I'm connected to the rhythm of the music 
the flow of that song is not broken up. That flow of that song is connected. It's all there. And I try to get into being part of the music, part of my partners, part of the wind, part of my elements and my surroundings that becomes kind of one in that, but it gets in that meditative state. I've, I've let go of, I'm going to do this. Now, if it's back and forth, we're playing not so much spontaneity. I'll also try to think, use both hands, use both legs. I'll be premeditating that my next move is actually moving into flow, not how am I going to do my catch or unless I'm practicing something. But if you're just jamming, it's going to flow. I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to, you know, consecutivity, pull it behind my back, set it up under the leg. And if I do that, then sometimes I don't know what's going to happen next as opposed to I'm going to set, uh, do a, a, a grapevine or something. I'm going to try a, a guidus. Well, then I'd get it probably in the first and then start to set my move up and then do my moves as opposed to I'm going to get it on consecutive right out of the gate because I don't know how that throw is going to be. But no matter how the throw is, I'm going to try to be consecutive, right hand, left hand, right leg, left leg, cross, boom, boom, and trying to mix it up every time, every time, every time, back and forth, both hands, both legs, both consciously saying it, consciously going, trying to develop new skills that's going to take you down a new path of consecutivity. Like, wow, that just worked. I was tripping out just recently going, wow, I got a tickle in my tummy going, it works that way. And it just brought me back 40 years ago going, shit, I'm still thrilled on learning new moves. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That journey never stops. That continues and it'll continue for another 40 years until you're 90, you know, but it's, <laughs> what's, what's cool is that I had a little light bulb moment there too, about that whole, how it can be frustrating to tell a new player, like, just let it come to you. Don't force it. And it really is kind of a concept that you can't get to until you really lay down the fundamental the fundamental base to get to where you can just be in a reactive moment mm -hmm. you got to have mm -hmm. the fundamentals you got to have all the the practice hours that go into it before you can even get to that hey just let it come to you so i can see how it's really frustrating to a new player saying hey quit forcing it it's like well i don't have the skills to not force it that's where i'm at right now there's a couple of ways to look at it because you could you could say okay i only have these, this limited amount of skill. So then what you start doing, if you're being spontaneous, what you do is you look for the opportunity to use that skill. Instead of saying, I have to do this skill now, you just wait for mm -hmm. it to come. And if it's not there, you just stick with your does and stick with your easy stuff until the mm -hmm. moment comes and then you take it. So you're, you're hunting for the moment instead of forcing the moment to come to you. That's, That's how I used to point. look at it as a new player. I love that. We we want to get into hunter-gatherer mode in our freestyle approach. <laughs> Go pick the berries. <laughs> Go sleep under the tree. Go pollinate the dates. Yeah. Oh I mean, it can be God. frustrating because if there's stuff that you want to do, like you have these moves and you want them to happen, but you can't do them because you don't get the right throw or the right set, it can be really frustrating. So you have to have a lot of patience. But for me, that was uh, a motivator to practice all the skills. So I would go back, go home and practice by myself. I have to set right under left, left under right, right under right, right under left. And just all the different variations, as simple mm -hmm. as they seemed. Because then as I had more opportunities, I didn't feel so frustrated in the jam. I could take what came to me. 
That's good advice. And that is a good point of getting that exercise down, that discipline and that repetitive motion. But all of a sudden it is spawn. You're like, oh, bloop, bloop. there it is. Kind of getting your sit-ups in. Yeah. There's a tipping point. I don't remember when it happened. I know it happened for you guys where you really do start stop thinking about, oh, I'm going to do this move. Instead, you just like go, I'm going to go where this is going. And because I remember totally thinking, okay, oh, I want to try this rim to this swoop to this roll, always thinking about what I was wanting to do next. And then that tipping point happens where you totally leave that world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is cool. This is great. I'm enjoying this a lot. So thank you for sitting down and and sharing yourself with us, Chip and Bro. Mm, Thank you so much. I'm such in awe. I wish we all lived closer. That would be rad ass. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I. I have always enjoyed my times playing with you and uh, wish it would have happened more often, but I will take what I've gotten. You know, I wanted to mention, I think it was so cool that Frisbee being part of, you know, my life and who I am and my soul and spirit and my, uh, and my uh, persona and then how I hang, it's pretty cool. And being able to have Frisbee woven in for all these years, uh, it's just been that again, as I was saying earlier, you know, it's still going, you know, doing, uh, I've been at Patagonia now as a, uh, brand ambassador there in, in different capacities, but, uh, I get to still play Frisbee around work. Uh, a few years back, uh, one of my highlights was still, uh, I got to go to Europe and, uh, with Patagonia doing the, uh, California kind of Frisbee Patagonia tour. And, getting to hook up with uh, our friends in, in Europe, especially in Germany and Cologne and, and uh, getting to play with those guys. I'm just such a big fan of European play. And, and it was such an honor to get to play with everybody out there. I just live vicariously through that European uh, Frisbee movement that I've been watching now for many years. But I think the jammers there remind me so much uh, of the, of the grassroots times that I had personally uh, uh, in the late seventies and early eighties, again, kind of that nuts and berries living on, on uh, low budgets, but, you know, living this life of revolving around Frisbee. And I just think it's so neat for me to think that that's still going on, that people in Europe, Japan, all over the world today, that there's these grassroots people uh, that remind me so much of what we did and that passion of love and, and uh, figuring it out. And again, kind of living, uh, we kind of, people used to say paycheck to paycheck, but we lived happy hour to happy hour. And uh, it was just barely making it. And, but every day, as I mentioned, five, six, seven days a week, jammers would go to the park, come out of our woodworking places, uh, the woodwork, I should say, or the streets or the housing or whatever, and finders camaraderie. Uh, it's so inspiring that Europe and people around the world, that that grassroots movement's still going. Yeah, I love that you're acknowledging that, Chipper, and I think it's important for the new players to hear that from folks of your stature. Because I think a lot of the newer players sometimes feel like they are getting disrespected, that they don't have the game to match up to the what happened in the golden era. And so I think it's really great for you to acknowledge that. That's awesome. 
Well, it's inspiring to see. And again, it's just like us, just like you guys, just like we were all 19 years old, trying to figure it out, seeing what's up. But it was the passion uh, that was uh, evident in all of us, again, creating our family, that we're all connected. You know, there's good, better and best. But at the same time, it's it's that personal best. It's that time that we can grow personally and, and into our sport. Um, and some I'd still want to see grow professionally as well to see if there's that opportunity to take that grassroots feeling and create an opportunity to have an experience like the Bud Light team got to do. And it was, you know, as much as having that global party, living like the Rolling Stones, but it was also taking that Frisbee and being able to share that with people around the world. Um, we still have that opportunity with young players to go out there and, and push that envelope on the professional side as well. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that is one of the things that is still there. And, and, and uh, as I have said, it, it still hasn't gone Cirque du Soleil yet, and it could. Mm-mm. And that would come Mm-mm. with that professional experience of having – you know, trainers and, you know, nutritionists and, you know, dance teachers and all that stuff. I mean, I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface of where this could go, but I love where it is. I like Chip's idea too, of just not just pushing the game to the next level, but sharing the vibe, sharing the Frisbee love, sharing the jamily. You know, part of doing all those shows was just sharing, I don't know, sharing the vibe, I guess. That's true. Now our sponsors wanted us to sell beer, but every time we walked out on that field, on those stages, on those on those bar rooms around the country, around the world, every time you guys, the frisbee went out first. The frisbee was held as the beacon of of the show. That's what we were there for was frisbee, and uh, I absolutely felt naked if I didn't have the frisbee on me to walk out there, um, because again I was passionate about sharing. Uh, what Frisbee is and, and taking, I love, as you say, the Jamly to share that with these people uh, around the world. It was so cool. Yeah, Chip, that really is cool that you got that opportunity with the Bud Light team to be able to share your passion of Frisbee with so many people. Uh, I know I feel super lucky that somebody shared that passion with me. And, you know, I certainly look for opportunities to share that passion when I get that chance. So I'm pretty sure you do too, Jake. Is that correct? Yeah, that's uh, very correct, actually. Um, Yeah, you know, Frisbee, for me, it really touched my life when I discovered it. It kind of gave me a purpose, and it kind of gave me a family. You know, the Jamily is um, a big part of what I consider my family. And so, my whole mission, and you are with me on this, the whole mission of Frisbee Guru is all about taking our passion and our love for Frisbee and sharing it with the world and trying to invite them into the jamily and invite them into the uh, just this amazing, loving, fun, challenging uh, exercise and sport and pastime that we have that we call freestyle Frisbee. So, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I would say you do. And uh, if you want to make sure that you don't miss out on anything that's happening on Frisbee Guru, go to frisbeeguru.com, sign up for the newsletter, and you'll get all the updates every Monday morning as to what's going on. So on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time.
Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle Frisbees.